Hello everybody, uh, my name is Derek Arden and welcome to Monday Night Live. Tonight we have a smorgasbord of tips from 10 experts, four from the USA, six from the UK, and we are going to ask them to talk about tips, techniques and tactics that they've used to their advantage that we can use all in two to two and a half minutes each. So that's absolutely fantastic. Um, the order will be Godfrey, Shelley, Tim, Will, Janice, John, Carl, Alex, Jane, and then Patricia and I at the end. So where uh, all systems go, over to my first guest, Godfrey Lancashire from Dorset, president of the YMCA in Dorchester and a former private detective. Godfrey. Derek and everybody, good evening. Lovely to see everybody from all around the world. Derek today sent out uh, his latest newsletter. I'm wondering with a show of hands, how many people have read it already? Uh, one or two, which is great. And uh, what I would like to do is um, remind people actually of something that Derek focused on in his newsletter and two areas that have been really helpful to me just in the last week. That is meeting somebody face to face and building rapport in a negotiation. Uh, Derek said, I helped to look after the local YMCA, uh, which is a charity and we have uh, a number, quite a few hundred young people in the area use us every week. And we've been on a journey for a building project which started before COVID, a 250,000 pound project. Um, and of course, because of COVID, um, steel costs, the raw materials went up 35%, timber went up 25%, and the budget we agreed before COVID suddenly got a bit bigger. So uh, in the last 12 months, we've put out the word locally uh, to businesses asking for donors and for help. And I got a phone call about 10 days ago from an individual who said, I'll lend you the last bit of money you want, £25,000. And uh, of course, I said, that's very generous, but why was he doing this? He said, well, I can get a better interest from you. We can negotiate terms than I get with my current bank. And I said, well, that's very kind. And we finished the conversation. He then emailed and I emailed back and said, I'd like to meet you. He said back again, no, we can do this all over email and by phone. I went back nicely and insisted that we met. Um, I didn't know him. And he agreed, and we arranged to meet for a coffee on neutral territory. So that brought me a couple of days to do some research, which is always a good thing, and that's my detective hat kicked in. But within uh, 24 hours, I knew how old he was, where he was born, where he lived. I'd seen photographs of his street. I knew his directorships, I knew everything that the local newspapers had said about him, and he was a local businessman, and I knew he'd been very involved. Some of you may remember in 2012, the Olympics, that uh, Portland hosted the sailing event for the Olympics. He'd been very involved in securing the bid for Portland. So uh, we arranged to meet, and of course, I knew all the answers, most of the answers to the questions that I was about to ask him. Uh, yes, he was my age. Yes, he had been born and lived in the area all his life. 
yes, he was involved in local affairs and was involved in the Olympic bid for Portland. And yes, we had mutual acquaintances. So very quickly, we had built up a connection and uh, our love of sport shone through and we moved into the negotiation and um, it worked out well. Uh, we got the money agreed. Um, uh, the interest rate was agreed. It was going to be twice what he was getting in the bank. I was happy with that because I got uh, an agreement that we would not pay any interest back for the first 12 months. The capital would be repaid monthly, but in addition, we could pay in lump sums as and when we had them without penalty. Um, and it was all going to be done on uh, a short written agreement. We uh, didn't need to involve solicitors. We were looking at each other, we were eyeballing. I shook his hand and he got what he wanted. We got what we wanted and it was a win-win. So building rapport and eye contact, win-win. Fantastic, Godfrey. Um, I think you made a couple of other really relevant points there, but um, you know, the research you did there on LinkedIn, et cetera, lots of people don't do it, do they? And uh, um, they really don't do that preparation. How crazy is that? I know uh, everybody here does it, but the people that work for you probably don't, so they need, they need some coaching. Okay, that's number one. Number two is uh, Shelley Bridgman. Shelley, are you there? Shelley is a psychologist, a psychotherapist, a stand-up speaker, and there's nothing that Shelley doesn't know. Wow. If only that were true. Um, I just want to share a very short story uh, by way of illustration. Two weeks ago today, I was lying in a hospital bed having just had surgery, and... Um, I was the first in in the morning and the last out. You know, you don't stay overnight these days in hospital. And I noticed the cleaner had started working. And I was watching this young kid. She looked um, as though she was from the Indian subcontinent. And she was meticulous with the job she was doing. She was moving everything. Everything was spotless. I was intrigued by it. And I, I asked the nurse, um if she knew the young woman and she did and she spoke her dialect and it turned out that um, she was working it was a heart unit and her father had had a heart transplant some years ago and she was working in this hospital and the hospital made a decision 10 years ago that they would not use contracted out labor as part of the NHS and the NHS uses big contracts and they employ and this girl's task was to look after this one ward or she may have had another one I don't know so I asked the nurse to tell her that a patient had noticed what a great job she was doing but it struck me when I investigated it afterwards that we all can make the mistake of assuming that there is a, a hierarchy of importance with the tasks. But by virtue of giving this young woman a responsibility, she'd embraced it to the extent that she was doing an absolutely amazing job. And I think it filtered through the organisation. So that's my tip. 
that is a fantastic tip and a fantastic story. And how are you? Are you fine? Thank you. It, it was it was only heart surgery, so it was nothing to worry about. <laughs> <laughs> but I am fine, thank you very much. Well, I wouldn't be here, would I, if I wasn't? But <laughs> Shelley, with your humour, I never know whether you're joking or serious. <laughs> That's my problem as the uh, as the MC here. <laughs> but um, but it was it, it just and and of course I'd slowed down enough to notice what was going on around me. You know, we're normally running around having such frenetic lives. So it was a valuable lesson for me. Well done. Thanks for that tip. And we're uh, delighted uh, that, uh, that you're better. Uh, now we go over to Texas, to Granbury, to Texas Tim Turk, Turk Durkin. I can't even say it because I'm stunned with the hat that uh, Tim's wearing. Tim, uh, over to you. What's your tip for us? Well, first of all, I want to acknowledge Shelley because Shelley noticed something that's very important. As you know, I do a lot of work in healthcare, and really, some of the most important people in healthcare are the lowest paid. And if you think of hierarchy, the lowest in the hierarchy, they're housekeepers, they're cleaners, they're environmental services, and people need to remember that those people are the first line of defense against COVID against MRSA, against C. diff, against Ebola, because if they don't clean properly, the hospital is the most dangerous place in the world to be. Um, so I acknowledge that. Under coincidence, two weeks ago today, I was also in the hospital, uh, in a hospital bed. I had slipped and fallen hard and I broke my back in two places. I broke a rib and I smashed uh, uh, a nerve a pocket of nerves. And um, so I went to the hospital and the doctor said, um, it would be four weeks before I could walk and it would be eight weeks before I felt any better. And th those numbers are unacceptable to me. And I remembered something that I learned when I uh, was first diagnosed with cancer years ago. I went to a class on mortality uh, by coincidence, and they said the, the leader said, don't pray for a cure, pray for the lesson that's to be learned. And, uh, and so I did that. And uh, I happen to have a lot of people praying for me. Some of them, I am grateful, are on this podcast in this room right now. Um, but what, what happened was I opened my mind, and that's my message of this tip, is open your mind and try new things. Because what I tried then and what I tried now was very unorthodox healing. I went into several times a day hypnosis, and I got down into the delta and the theta state, one of which will put you to sleep, but all of them will react, uh, uh, all of them relax you. I imagined that there were parts of my body that were going to my bones, and they were welding the breaks in my bones, L4, L5, uh, my ninth rib and the pocket of nerves in the back there. Well, after three days I was walking, I still couldn't, uh, I, I still couldn't bend over. I couldn't lay on one side. It takes me a full minute to get up out of a chair or out of a bed. And, uh, and, but I kept on doing it two or three times a day, especially when I woke up in the morning, especially before I went to bed. Um, it's two weeks to the day after I am 85% recovered. If I could dance, I would stand up and dance a jig. Um, it's it's uh, what some people would call a miracle. But what I think is that I used a Monty Vine connection. 
And I had to open my mind to this whole mind-body connection thing. In order to do anything new, you have to have a period of time where we will, what I call, embrace awkward. You have to be a beginner. You have to be new. You have to feel awkward. I know Patricia as perhaps the world's foremost speaker trainer and others. We have trained people and found out that they don't do anything that we train. And it's pretty frustrating. If you start talking to them, what it comes down to is they don't want to look foolish. They don't want to look new. Remember when we were kids, wanted to ride a bike? We skinned our knees. We kicked the bike because it threw us off. Same thing with skateboarding, same thing with ice skating, same thing with dancing, whatever it is. We have to embrace awkward no matter what our age in order to learn something. And hopefully it's new. Tim, um, congratulations on what you did there. Thanks for sharing that with us. Um, Tim, will you put in the chat box, please? Um, where we can find this uh, this um, hypnosis music that you used? You told me about that when we spoke sure. privately. Um, yeah, I will put it. I'll put it to YouTube. It's all over YouTube. Okay. Um, and anybody that wants to know more, email me tim at timdurkin.com. But yeah. I'll put one of the the things, the one I fall asleep on. But uh, there's no other medical explanation for two weeks out, broken rib, back broken in two places to be up and Fantastic. Brilliant. Okay. Now we go to, I was going to say Manchester, but we're not going to Manchester. We're going to Boreham Wood to my friend, Will Kintish, who is the UK number one guru on networking. Will, are you there? I'm afraid I'm going to break the rules tonight, Derek. Everyone is giving tips, but tonight I need to ask for help. Well, not actually help for myself, but for my friend, Stephen. Stephen has written me a handwritten letter and is asking you all for help. So I'm going to read you the letter and see if you can help him. It goes like this. As you know, Will, we're both of the same generation, and I really cannot comprehend social media in general, and Facebook in particular. And as you know, Will, I'm a bit of a, an introvert, and I'm trying to make friends outside of Facebook whilst applying the same principles. Therefore, every day I walk down my street and you know I live in this beautiful street and I tell passers-by what I've eaten, how I feel at the moment, what I've done the night before, what I'll do later on and with whom. I give them pictures of my family, my dog and of me gardening, taking things apart in the garage, watering the lawn, standing in front of landmarks, driving around, having lunch. And you know what, Derek? I also listen to their conversations. I give them thumbs up and I give them likes. And this is the problem. I've already got a group of followers. I've got 12 policemen following me, four private detectives and a psychiatrist. Can anybody help me, please? Thank you. My name is Will. It's back to head office. <laughs> oh, that's great, Will. That's great. You can't make this stuff up, could you? If somebody landed from the moon, they wouldn't uh, they wouldn't know what was going on, would they, with Facebook? And um, uh, my pal who um, my pal who I have a coffee with in the morning said he came across 
the same person in London that had their phones stolen out their hand, two days running, two phones, same person, because they were walking down the street uh, on Facebook. You cannot make this up. Thanks, Will. Now we go over to um, San Francisco to Janice Litvin. Janice, the expert on banishing burnout. I think burnout probably comes from looking at Facebook, but are you there, Janice? Good morning. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to see you all, especially my NSA friends, Patricia Fripp, Tim Durkin, and Carl Walsh, the newest member of National Speakers Association, Northern California, where Patricia Fripp will be presenting on October 15th. But I digress. So one of the themes that I'm sensing today is about human interaction, whether it's about um, eye contact or people around you in hospitals. And for me, one of my biggest sources of success my entire life has been my personal relationships. And one of those is a gentleman that some of you know named Tom Drews, who is also a member of NSA NC, whom I spoke with a few days ago, and I was bemoaning the fact that I never feel organized with my time. Every day at the end of the day, I feel like I can't get it all done. And Tom said, let me tell you about a system I developed. So as you know, I don't know how many of you have struggle with time management. As you know, there are little daily tasks pay the bills, make airline reservations, et cetera. And then there are the big projects, the client projects. And I never could figure out in my mind how to put all of that together to get it all done. And Tom has devised a very clever plan in his web. I didn't plan on advertising Tom Drews today, but his website is Making Minutes Work. Derek, I highly recommend you invite Tom on your Monday night show in the future, and I'll be happy to make the introduction, of course, or Patricia will. And um, he taught me a system using clever manipulations of spreadsheets to make it all fit together. I had created a chart of all my major projects, sales, marketing, its categories, and all the little details that has to get done, but I couldn't tie it all together and how to prioritize and how to feel successful at the end of a day, feeling like I got enough all done. And he very cleverly put it all together in like a 10 dimensional spreadsheet, which I couldn't even begin to describe, except it does start with lists of major projects and a dump list of all the little nitpicky things you have to do. And then in the third dimension, he ties it all together. And then in the fourth dimension, he teaches you how to prioritize all of those items. Wow. Okay, Janice, thanks very much for that. And thanks for joining us from San Francisco. Um, for those of you that don't know, the National Speakers Association is the first speaking association in in the world and i've been out to america uh, 10 times to meet my friends out there uh, and over here we call it the professional speaking association for people who want to learn how to do it properly to do it better and see some of the best speakers in the world janice you're talking to the uk of course we use paper you know i don't know if that's a new thing in in, in america but uh, 
Um, we use paper. We don't need spreadsheets for that sort of thing. But uh, oh, good. You've seen that you've got paper as well. I love paper, too. <laughs> That's brilliant. Now we go down to Swanage in Dorset, my favourite place where Patricia Fripp and I had a fantastic uh, meal and a trip round to John Baker, the introvert and extrovert uh, expert in the UK. John, are you there? Yeah, I'm there, Derek. And as for spreadsheets, bring them on. Get rid of that paper rubbish. Um, so Derek asked me for a tip, and I was thinking, I wonder if I'm allowed to be rude. And now Derek's looking really worried. Because I was reflecting on something that happened two or three times over the summer. I was reflecting on feedback and the bleeding obvious. There you go, that's as rude as it gets. But thinking about what Janice said, this also relates back to human interaction. How often do we miss the really obvious things that we already know? You know what I mean? Which, just as an aside, why do people say, you know what I mean? When actually what it normally means is they're not clear themselves, but think it's obvious. So if anyone says, you know what I mean, they probably mean they're not really clear themselves. And I'm damn sure the other person is not going to be sure at all. But because one of the things that happened in the summer, I was facilitating some team leader feedback sessions. It's a 360 degree kind of thing. And one of the sessions was starting to get contentious because one of the leaders had a few issues that they had to learn from. And when, when told something, this manager said, you know what I mean? At which point everybody else, well, either went completely silent and really just looked, oddly, they just looked as if they'd shut down or they started talking out loud and the whole thing was going to go absolutely crazy. It's probably one of those times when you really did need a facilitator. Um, but this, this, this thing, you know what I mean? We don't know what you mean. So let's just try and get that out of the language. But what I really wanted to talk about was the feedback session because feedback is all about helping people to gain confidence. Um, I normally start any, any discussion on feedback by saying too much feedback that goes around nowadays is actually about ego from the person that's giving feedback. Mm. And unfortunately, that's where it all goes wrong. But good feedback will build confidence. And here's the tip. Have you ever considered internal or external validation when it comes to confidence? Many people like external validation. Tell them they're good and they're like, oh, they grow, they feel great. But others, very typically introverts, look for internal validation. They need to work out inside themselves how they're good and what they're good. So rather than just saying to this person when you give them the feedback, oh, that was good, help them to work out what the aspects of a good job are. What is good about those aspects? In other words, number one, break the job down into what is good. And number two, if you like, try and work out for each of those aspects what good means and what not so good means. Because then you can help them consider how they can improve against those aspects. And that will build internal validation and that builds confidence, which is what feedback's all about. Less importantly, your view on how they did against those aspects and your view on what they should do. That's not really as important most of the time. Is it obvious? Well, probably but not to many people who don't know what we mean. Great, John. Great. Yeah. Thing is with common sense, isn't it? It's not. Very 
Let's, let's start on that one. No, we better not start on that one. But I'll be down in Swanage on Friday, so it's your round, is that? Oh, okay? it's the it's the folk festival weekend. You'll have to come oh, yeah, and join work. all the Morris dancers. You're working. Oh, I don't do that. I don't do that. I'll, yeah, I'll go will. straight to the pub in that case. Thanks, John. That that was great. Now we go to um, Carl Walsh in Pasadena, California. Carl, from being an actor to being a businessman and now being a podcaster uh, and an Arsenal supporter. Are you there, Carl? I am here, and uh, the order worked out perfectly because I'm going to follow up with what John said, and I'm going to talk about what do you need, what do you really want? I think a lot of people really don't know what they want at at core. Uh, we, I'm, I'm sure most of you have heard of uh, Elizabeth Holmes, the founder of Theranos. And she, in her youthful enthusiasm, thought she wanted to help people and change the world. It turned out what she really wanted was to be a billionaire and a famous person. Her sentencing will be coming next month, and she will go to prison for a long time for having built people out of $9 billion. But... The one I really want to talk about is in 1978, when I was first kicking around Hollywood from casting director to casting director, there was a fellow that I kept seeing over and over again. We were apparently up for the same roles frequently. And um, it got to where we would nod to each other. Oh, you again, <laughs> that, that sort of thing. And we had this sort of friendly relationship. Well, I went to a comedy club one night and lo and behold, there he was on stage. And I saw the most brilliant comedy routine that I had ever seen and maybe have ever seen since. And then I found out what his real name was and it's Robin Williams. When he was done, we talked in the bar afterwards and he was very upset with what had happened. Now he had hit it out of the park. He had the audience in his hands. He had total control, but he thought he had, he had failed because at the end of his routine, he did a beautiful and very touching character of a homeless man. And the audience was silent. Now for people who have been on stage every once in a while, you have a silence that is electric that is a powerful silence. You can feel it. And that's what he got. But here's what it turned out as I followed Robin's career going, going forward. He needed the feedback from the audience and silence was not feedback to him. He had to have that feedback. And when he became very famous and was in movies, he didn't particularly like doing movies no feedback because you've just got the camera and the crew and that's and and that's that and so he kept doing stand-up and doing brilliantly 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 and as we saw he had an addictive character uh, a personality he 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 became addicted to drugs got off of those became addicted to alcohol uh, eventually got off of that and he was addicted to the audience feedback and when he finally was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, he knew that he couldn't do his act anymore. He, 
his body would not allow him to do it. And then he chose a very creative and unusual way to kill himself. And that was how he got over that addiction. What I'm saying is evaluate what it is you want. Constantly evaluate, because it changes as you, as, as you go through life, as you change, and as your situation changes. Know what it is you want. Is it, is it appropriate to who you are and what you do now, not 10, not 10 years ago? And that will keep you on the straight and narrow of what is really important in your life. Back to you, Derek. Thank you, Carl, and thank you for um, for those uh, those tips. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Elizabeth Holmes is the lady that um, invented or had a team inventing a blood checking machine, and she has, uh, and it was all a fraud. Uh, lots of people lost their lives. It's a very interesting book, very interesting program on YouTube. In fact, I think there's a movie out about it now, as well i was fascinated by the book and, and read about it i'm just amazed how these frauds come about uh because people don't ask the right questions and it's something that godfrey and i talk about often and we're going to have a session on fraud sometime in the autumn session because uh, i'm very interested in it and i get very worried how many people get caught by simple frauds which is why we've got carl vincent on next week talking about cyber security and the risks we take that's that's brilliant thank you carl now we go to sussex to alex kent who runs a ceo group coaching and mentoring uh, businesses businessmen in the uk are you there alex yes i'm here can you hear me yeah we can good well uh unlike most of you i'm not a professional speaker so i'll just give you some a couple of one minute tips from observations that i've made working with uh, people in in sort of leadership positions the first one's around persistence. And to me, it feels like the culture today is that people give up too easily. Um, and consider that if something is worth doing or achieving, then don't give up the first time that it doesn't go that the way that you want. If you think back, uh, for, for those of you who've heard of Thomas Edison, the inventor, he apparently made over 1,000 unsuccessful attempts at inventing the light bulb. And when a reporter asked him, how does it feel to fail a thousand times? He replied, I didn't fail a thousand times. The light bulb was an invention with 1000 steps. So I'm not suggesting you go quite as far as Thomas Edison and fail a thousand times, but I would suggest um, don't give up until you've had at least seven unsuccessful attempts. Seven, I think is the magic number. The second tip goes a little bit hand in hand with this, and um, I'm going to suggest to you one word which can perhaps potentially change a toxic mindset. Now, from time to time, I come across people who say to me, oh, they can't do something or they're really bad at it. And if you analyze the reasons, it often comes down to something maybe even in their early childhood, a comment, it might be a comment from a parent or a teacher or a colleague or something, and they've been told, well, you will never be any good at that. Maybe some of you have heard of that. Um, I think that's a very toxic comment and it can prevent people achieving their full potential, particularly if it's something that the individual wants to do or even get better at. 
So the, the mindset that I've tried to adopt when there's something that I can't, uh, can't do, but would like to do, all I say to myself is, I can't do it yet. Mm. So the one word is yet, or it's, I can't do it as well as I would like yet. And then I add on for myself, I just need to learn how to do it. So if you are um, interacting with people who've got that sort of a mindset, maybe have a little go at sort of uh, helping them, you know, teaching them or coaching them, that yet can be a very powerful word in that context. Back to you. Fantastic, Alex, and welcome to the professional speaking um, business because you are a professional speaker. You're speaking on a professional program, so you're now a professional speaker, and you know as well as I do there are some people that call them professional speakers. <laughs> really belong to the Amateur Speaking Association, which uh, I was... Yeah, we've had those conversations, yes. I was almost the president of, so... Thanks for that. Now I will turn over to uh, a professional speaker, Jane Gunn, uh, the barefoot mediator. But I must just tell you, when Jane, as the president of the Professional Speaking Association, went to the National Speaking Association conference in San Diego, her bags went missing. And they went missing for two days. And Jane and Ailey Milnes, uh, our other friend, who's sadly no longer with us, went shopping in San Diego on British Airways uh, account. And I think they had a ball and I think BA paid up. Is that right, Jane, are you there? We did, as a lawyer, I read the small print and I realized uh, that we were allowed to, they said, you're allowed to buy what you need. And we said, well, we are presidents of the uh, Professional Speaking Association. We're at a professional conference. We need evening wear, day wear, uh, night wear. <laughs> We need all these things. Uh, and so that was all sanctioned and uh, we bought what we needed. Well, unbelievable. What a great story. Yeah, <laughs> Always read the small print is the answer. <laughs> yeah, well, that goes, um, that's almost uh, what today's all about. Preparation, preparation, preparation. Jane, thanks for joining us. The Barefoot Mediator, you've changed your brand since you were last on, but. Uh, yes, um, yes. What's going on for you? So Barefoot Survival is what I want to talk to you about today and crisis talk. So um, what I'm talking to my clients about uh, is the cycle of crises we are in now. And, you know, we thought we were thought we were coming out of COVID and we could see the light at the end of the tunnel. And now the tunnel's just got longer and we can't even see the light. And uh, I think what um, I think it was Godfrey was talking about, you know, where the steel costs and the timber costs go, there are going to be a lot of businesses, small and large, where uh, all the parameters have changed and they're not sure how they're going to survive and they're going to need to have some crisis talks. And I was just talking about this with uh, an American colleague of mine before I came online. So you can imagine, uh, you know, imagine it's a small pub in the UK, for example, and they have to say, We've got to make some decisions about whether we close for some of the hours, whether we lay off some of our staff, whether we uh, serve cheaper meals. They've got to make some critical decisions. And how do they make those decisions? And one of the challenges is in a crisis that people don't think very clearly. Sometimes they make short term decisions which don't play out very well in the long term. 
So the mediation process is one that could help people to think through these dilemmas and perhaps to involve more people, more stakeholders in doing that, and maybe even to involve a third party if it's a larger business and they need some help. So I'd like you to think about a compass. The process that we use as mediators can be imagined as a compass. And um, the N stands for now. You've got to be very clear about what the brutal facts are, what are the issues, what are the things you've got to think about, what are the problems you've got to resolve. And what most people do, particularly in a crisis, is they jump from their problem to their solution. They do this in mediations. They come in and say, we don't need to talk about this. We simply need to, we simply need to put our figures on the table and we'll come up with a solution. But the answer is that the, the next point on the compass is E. And that stands for what were my expectations? What's my experience? What's actually going on here? So the thing, and again, it comes down to preparation, Derek, that most people forget to do when they're problem solving is dig deeper, digging around the roots. And I say you need to think deeply, differently and dangerously about your problem. So spend a lot of time thinking about uh, the problem. And then you move to the S, which stands for solutions. Now, there isn't just one solution. There may be many solutions, many options. So it's thinking of what are all the potential solutions and, and the brainstorming analogy comes in here. And let's get everybody involved and think what might be some solutions to our problem? What are the options? And then how do we weigh those up? What criteria do we use? Uh, and then only finally, when you've made that decision, do you walk forward? So are we ready to walk forward with that? And do we feel we've made a wise decision? So the N and the E and the S and the W are the way forward. That's your compass that lights your way. And I think it, we've got in, in the times that are coming, we're going to have to think about how are we all going to survive physically? First of all, you've got to know what are your what issues do you have or might you have in surviving physically? We, we know there may be food shortages, but we also have got to look after our health in the coming months. Um, financially, are we financially sound? What do we need to do as individuals and businesses to look after our finances? Uh, mentally, are you able to think logically through problems? Have you got the thinking skills? Do you need to? Um, learn more about how you think and analyze your problems emotionally how do you stay emotionally strong and then spiritually you know this kind of group Derek is a group that gathers people together to support each other spiritually if you like you know it buoys people up keeps people going all of these things are going to be vital in the coming months um, and using that compass to think about problems that you have issues you know mediation has traditionally been uh, used to resolve legal problems and what i'm saying to people is it really now applies to everybody at every stage you can use the mediation process and skills to talk through uh, any of these issues in this time of crisis fantastic jane thanks for that um, um i'm going to go now and then um ask patricia for any comments she's got i've got so many notes here that i'm uh, struggling with them but i am going to comment on some of them because with some fabulous tips there and the first one came from godfrey about going to see people eye to eye i said to um i said to somebody on friday i was working with how many clients have you seen face to face and he said one i said how do you ever close sales if you don't actually go and 
see them. There's a young guy who lives next door to me who I've been coaching and he's seen 20 clients face to face, eyeball to eyeball. You don't really close sales unless you really look people in the eye. And if it's in that important, you should go to it. Uh, Jane helped me with a mediation. We were doing some preparation. It's gone on for two years. We closed the, uh, we closed the deal two weeks ago. But the solicitor acting for us did not want to go and see the client. He did everything he could not to come with us to see the client. He wanted to do it on Zoom. I insisted. We met them where we built, built rapport and we got a we got what we thought was a fabulous deal. Will Kintish, Stephen, what a story. Patricia Fripp and one or two people on here are fabulous sto storytellers and tell you all about that. That was that was just blew my mind. Tim, I'm going to go into Delta and Theta State in a minute. So, so I like those those states. John, I know what you mean, mate. You know, what, what, were you, what were you on about? Isn't it funny how we use loose language? And of course, Patricia tells me off for, for using loose language. The one that drives me mad, and I caught it off a speaker who constantly said, does that make sense? Does that make sense? Reinforcing. I don't like the word feedback, guys. You all know that. I've been on about it. It's feed forward, how you can be even better than you were. If I hear Alex Kent say he's not a professional speaker again, I'm going to pull the plug, Alex. So, um, so you're not a professional speaker yet, but you are now. And uh, mediation, finding solutions, uh, absolutely. I've uh, If I've missed anybody out, I apologise. Now I'd like to go to San Francisco to uh, to all our friends, uh, Patricia Fripp. And um, Patricia, what have you noticed, seen, or what have I said wrong in the last half an hour? I have not been watching for what anybody did wrong. However, when you listen to brilliant individuals that we have on this call, one important technique that I learned was when I was a keynote speaker at conferences, I would listen to executives and the other speakers and always ask myself, what does that remind me of? In a way that I could add content to my presentation I hadn't planned to. However, it was, it reinforced what I'd already heard. And the feedback I often got was, you remembered what our executives said better than <laughs> we did because of what does that remind me of? As I listen to all the wonderful contributions, anytime I hear Robin Williams, I could regale you with multiple, multiple stories. One, my very dear friend, John Cantu, who was a comedy legend, started the Holy City Zoo Comedy Club where everyone got their start. And he, he was in an improv class with Robin Williams. And he said, I would never have written home to my family and said, I'm in a group with someone who's gonna be a star. In other words, where we end up is not where we begin. And his early routines, he would just take, Robin would take a woman's bag out of the audience and just riff on what was in her handbag. But I mean, and, and a final story about Robin, my, the friend I went walking with on Saturday is a hypnotherapist. And Robin Williams went to her 
a few weeks before he died. And she said, he is the only client I have ever had who called me afterwards and said, thank you so much. You really made me feel better. Wow. Wow. Okay. Wow. Tom Drews. Tom Drews is a very handsome gentleman, 20 years younger than I am. And when I first met him at NSANC, uh, and he talked about, well, can we get together? I said, let's go for a walk in Golden Gate Park. You do not have to have all your socializing around eating. Go for a walk. It helps you be creative. And he said, all right, I'll 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 call you and I'll call my Tall Tom. So I still call him Tall Tom. And as we were walking through Golden Gate Park, I said, give me a snapshot of your life. It's what I call the once upon a time technique on how you go through your line to mine the treasure trove in your life that could be great content. And when he was a young actor in Hollywood, uh, he went on the dating game. Carl, I'm not sure if you ever went on the dating game, but a lot of actors begin on the dating game. And I said, that's it. And he accidentally won the date because the bimbo who was the woman attributed an answer to Tom that someone else had given. And I said, that is it. Your first speech is around sales techniques I learned on the dating game. And even now, more than 20 years later, no matter what he talks about, he always begins his presentation with the dating game story. I have to thank John uh, Baker and Derek because they did give me a fabulous time in Swanage. And when, when Derek went off to give a presentation, John took a day of his life and he happens to love museums as much as I do, Derek. <laughs> so we had a wonderful time. Now, Tim Durkin, I... When I was probably in my 20s, I took a self-hypnosis seminar and I went to lunch with the young man, with the young man I was sitting next to called Ted Anstead. And he went home and told his roommate, Al, I just met this really interesting girl. She asked me questions and then answered them herself. However... That gentleman, Tim Durkin, nothing, not Tim Durkin, Ted Anstead, he was the one that recommended I go to Dale Carnegie and then Toastmasters, which led to beginning to speak. And then this is my pithy piece of advice. Meeting Ted in the front row of the self-hypnosis seminar led to me taking his advice. And once I got into speaking, I was going to every rally, every seminar I heard about with my pals from Dale Carnegie. And Ted said, you know that great speaker you said you just heard, Chris Hegarty? He lives in Novato. I called him up. Chris Hegarty came to hear me speak at a Rotary Club of Kiwanis Clubs, Club. And he said, Patricia, 
you must go to the National Speakers Association convention. And as it happened, I had signed up for a Zig Ziglar Richer Life course the same weekend. And Chris said, Patricia, you must go to the National Speakers Association convention. So I changed my attendance at Zig's course and I turned up. At that first meeting in 1977, I walked in to have lunch and there were three gentlemen and I said, may I join you? Now I found out later that one of the people was Ty Boyd and people after me said, oh, do you know how famous he is? If I had known Ty Boyd was famous and this person I asked to sit next to, I would never have had the confidence to ask. One of the other gentlemen was in charge of a program called Speak to Me, which was for new speakers to get up and present 10 minutes. Put me on that program and Mike Frank heard me speak and said, you're the best woman speaker I've ever heard. Do you have a brochure? I said, no. A month later, he called me and booked me to speak to 2,000 people on the same program with Dr. Robert Schuler, the Minister of Garden Grove who was one of the most popular speakers at the time, and Dave Yoho. My point is, when someone you admire and wish to emulate gives you advice, don't ask how much does it cost, do it. Ted, although he was around my age, Yet I, he was a young man, obviously, on his way up. I took his advice, which eventually led to taking Chris Hegarty's advice. I am not saying I would not have had a speaking career if I hadn't been to that first convention in 1977. However, I 100% guarantee you that the early breaks that I had that led to seven years later becoming the first woman president of NSA would not have happened if I had not taken advice from those I admired and wished to emulate. Wow, that's powerful, Patricia. And uh, it's all coming down to preparation, networking, talking to people, sticking around smart people etc etc thanks everybody we've um, overrun a bit which was so exciting um and and good i'm going to stop the recording in a minute and then we're going to stay on for as long as people can just to talk and network but just uh, remember to join me next week when i've got kurt vincent on from uh, philadelphia kurt's there giving us a wave and he's going to be telling us about things we need to know on cyber security so give everybody a clap in the usual uh, in the usual monday night live way thanks for joining me and uh, look forward to seeing you uh, next week and uh, i must get one of those toys that patricia's got all i've got is is the negativity bell but i didn't have to ring that today so thanks everybody thanks for joining me if you're watching this on youtube please like it if you're listening to this on the negotiators podcast join us live if you can my name's Derek Harden thank you <laughs>